so this morning my phone rang, and as a pastor, uh, and, and I think it, this, this is true of any of us, uh, but maybe more so as a pastor, you kind of get those phone calls from time to time, and you go, uh-oh. And uh, this was a name that appeared on the phone that we haven't heard from in quite some time. And I won't give you the particulars, only to say that the person on the other side of the line just had a significant loss of a loved one um, beyond words. And then another blow as uh, someone in their life that they love very much is not doing great and is wayward. And when you're on the other side of the phone, you know, you, you just don't quite know what to say because you're trying to just take in what the person's saying to you and what they're going through. And, and, and especially when you know them and you've ministered alongside them and then you know that a couple of uh, very difficult things have happened in their life very recently and there's no easy answers and there's no uh, Bible verses per se that you want to throw at them in that very moment because they know the Bible pretty well and, and so you just, you listen and then we prayed and, um, and right now, you know, my heart is heavy for that person and I know you've probably been on the other end or maybe you're that person that, you know, you've gone through that very thing and you don't always know what to do. Uh, I was reading through J.P. Moreland's book, and if you were here on Sunday night, um, you may have gotten a copy of this book. And again, you have to read this book and test it against Scripture, so make sure you do that, because J.P. would say to you, if you were up here, I'm a man, we test everything and we hold fast to that which is good. But there's a portion of J.P.'s book called Finding Quiet where he talks about lament psalms. And here's what he says. He says, out of the 150 psalms in what we call the Psalter, that's the book of Psalms, it's called the Psalter, 48 are individual laments. Let me define what a lament is. A lament is an expression of grief. It is an expression of um, hurt and pain. It is a cry to God. It's combined with a cry to God for help. So you could say it's a way to express your hurt and it's a way to express that you have a need for help in God. And this is what a lament is. Now get this, hear it one more time. 48 of the 150 psalms are individual laments. 16 are corporate laments for a total of 64. There are 15 psalms of trust, 20 of praise, 13 of wisdom. Remember, the book of Psalms was the hymn book for ancient Israel, and 43% of their congregational singing proved to be complaints and expressions of sadness and disappointment with God, close quote. Now, I have you in Psalm 88, because I want to show you probably one of the more tragic ones, and I, and I say that because Oftentimes when you read a psalm of lament, the psalmist will begin with all these questions about life and God and uh, what's happening to me and where are you, God, and why is this happening and is it your heavy hand upon me? But then the psalmist will seem to turn and, and give us a ray of hope or find a ray of hope in, but I know you're there and I know you can be trusted and that kind of thing. But this particular psalm doesn't even go back there. But let me just qualify something by saying to you that if you do make a lament to God, not only is it biblical, but in making the lament, it is an expression of faith. Why would you bother to make a lament or a cry to God if you didn't believe God was there? Even if you don't understand what God is doing in the present moment, season, 
of your life, extended season of your life. To make a lament is an expression of faith. And behind that, I would also add, and this is often where my heart and mind are, is, well, where else would I go with my pain and problems anyway? And so even when I don't understand what God is doing, even when I remember Isaiah says, his ways are higher than my ways, even when he doesn't take away my pain immediately or change my circumstances immediately, I have to say like Peter, Lord, to whom will I go? Where else would I go? I know, and, and, and here's the other thing about lamenting. I know this. I know enough about the goodness of God and the character of God and the cross of Jesus Christ to be able to leave some of my laments right there at his feet, even when I don't understand all the angles of my pain or somebody else's pain, because I found my answers in the cross of Jesus Christ and in his empty tomb. But that doesn't mean I don't have questions just like you, either with my own pain or disappointments or someone else's that you know, I hurt for them. Psalm 88, take a look. Uh, you'll see the heading. It's a psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director according to Mahalath, Leonoth, uh, oftentimes that's describing what the tune was or maybe even the key. O Lord, the God of my salvation. So it starts out positive. I have cried out by day, Psalm 88, 1, and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. That just simply means, please hear me. For my soul has had enough troubles. And all God's people are going to mark the first part of Psalm 88.3. My soul has had enough troubles. <laughs> you ever been there before? My life is drawn near to Sheol, or the grave. I am reckoning, I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more. They are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places in the depths, your wrath has rested upon me. You have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah. That's a pause in the music. Remember, this was originally a, a song. It's a pause, a ponder, consider, reflect. You have removed my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an object of loathing to them. I'm shut up and cannot go out. Verse 9. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon you every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to you. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Selah, pause, ponder it. Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave? This is obviously someone near death, someone very sick. It could even be Job's psalm when you think about it, right? It, it describes well his life. Your faithfulness in Abaddon. Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, have cried to you for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me all together. And notice this. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in the darkness. I don't know if this psalmist is saying that my lover passed away. I lost a friend. I know some of you have lost uh, spouses and girlfriends and boyfriends and uh, parents and uh, 
inexplicable. I know as people get older, they start to lose family members and friends they went to high school with, and these are very tough, tough uh, questions. But I do want you to see in the Psalms of Lament, and if you go to the book of Job, it's right before, before the book of Psalms. We're in chapter 21 tonight as we do part two of That's Not Fair. I want you to see in the Psalms of Lament um, that they were both individual and corporate, and since they made up over 50% of the hymn book of Israel, wouldn't you agree that the songs of Israel were very honest songs? Now, when I come into a church service, it kind of, let's be honest, it kind of depends on where I'm at in the last week or month or six months of my life, what kind of songs I'd prefer to hear. Like if I'm in a good mood and uh, I come in and the worship's maybe a little bit more introspective or reflective, I might kind of, I'm going to go with it, but maybe that's not where I'm at. And if it's celebratory and everybody's, you know, let's go, here we go, hey, hey, we're having, good morning, you know, that guy comes out. Uh, apparently doesn't need as much coffee as we all need. Good morning, how's everybody doing today? And you're like, man, I just dragged myself in here. It was a good thing I didn't kick the dog this morning. And what do you mean, good morning? How, how are you asking me good morning? You know, and sometimes for me in worship, it's not until Jesus begins to be lifted up that my focus switches from my problems, my flesh, my difficulties, my questions. Hey, this is just being honest, right? Now, there's many Sundays I walk in where I'm, I'm ready to go, right? But there's others where we have to be honest. And I think that the, the book of Psalms here is an honest expression of the human dilemma. Amen? Life is not fair. It's just simply not fair. And if anyone could say that, it would be Job. Would you agree? A righteous man, nobody like this guy. Upright, he's even making sacrifices for for his children, just in case they blew it. It's not like the guy doesn't fear God and turn away evil from evil and reverence the Lord and care about his kids. Why him? And I've been making the case to you that you have to see beyond Job to the greater Job, Jesus, to see the ultimate unfairness in the cross and to know that God's kingdom works a little different. And even in his most prized people, we, we hear stories of Isaiah and, you know, how he may have been cut in half. Jeremiah thrown into, what was he, thrown into a well. You know, we, we can go through the list of the apostles and Fox's Book of Martyrs and modern day accounts of the terrible treatment of God's people. And then the ultimate expression of that is God's own son, who was not born in a castle, but in a cave. Did not grow up in a fancy neighborhood, but in a nowhere in town called Nazareth. Was born to a young girl who was certainly faithful to God, but she was really not known by anybody. She wasn't a famous uh, young woman from a famous family. And then Jesus comes from the Galilee region, not from Jerusalem, from the north. Could anything good come out of Nazareth? The people said of Jesus. Hey, you have Galilean accents. That's, that's where we look down on people. That's, that's not where the spiritual center and religious uh, focal point is for this nation. But God does things much differently than we do. And I'm sure those of you who have just started to follow Jesus are beginning to discover that. Our God 
doesn't think the way we do. He doesn't make value judgments the way we do. He doesn't, uh, he's not a God to show partiality the way we do. But he has some ultimate ends in mind. And it is for your good and it is for his glory. And he does love you. But the journey can be bumpy. And certainly the book of Job is all about that. Job is going to share a lament in chapter 21, and as he does much of the book. His lament is about observations of the wicked, contra to what Zophar said in chapter 20, that the wicked just, you know, they get everything they deserve, and their triumph is short-lived, and whatever glory they get, it gets snuffed out so quickly, Job is going to say, I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, Job is going to argue in chapter 21 that actually as he looks around, the wicked or the godless person seems to be doing fantastic. Seems to be doing great without God. Seems to be blessed. Do you see more and more people saying blessed? They get interviewed. I'm so blessed to be here. I'm blessed, blessed. And you're not quite sure if they know what that really means. But it's, it's a good word because blessed is better than blasted, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm blessed, blessed. We all like blessings, right? But Job is going to say, wait a minute. I look around at the wicked man, and they're doing pretty well. And if you were comp to compare them to me, I'd say they're doing fantastic. One of the comforters or so-called comforters, Job's friends, major themes in the second cycle of speeches of the book of Job is that bad things happen to bad people. Eliphaz has insisted that the wicked man rise in pain all of his days, 1520. Bildad agrees. These are all the comforters, so-called. Indeed, he says the light of the wicked is put out, Job 18.5. Zophar rams the message home saying, the exalting of the wicked is short. The joy of the godless is but for a moment, Job 20, verse 5. And Job's friends are implying since Job is going through all this calamity, then Job must be what? He must be wicked. And there's no other explanation for your suffering, Job, because this is our system. Bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. And maybe you walked in here tonight, or maybe you came from a system, whether humanism or new age or whatever it may be, that that's exactly what you were taught. That's the way the world works. And some people even say the universe dishes it out. I don't know who the universe is. I don't know what address the universe lives at. I don't know when the universe got personality. But this is what people say. The universe just gives you things. Really? Do you have to call upon the Milky Way? I thought that was a candy bar. I don't, I don't know what people are doing out there. Oh, universe, right? And, and they're like, the universe is dishing this stuff out based upon what? Well, some people say a law of karma. Well, Job's friends are simply saying this. Your life is a disaster because you're a sinner. You're a wicked man. And Job says, look, I agree. Ultimately, bad things happen to bad, unrepentant people. But hear me, ultimately. But Job is saying, look around for a minute. Do you really see that truth in this life? That it just bad things always happen to bad people. Or would you have to argue that very good things often happen to bad people? If you watch any of the news right now, you know all the controversy going on in politics. 
All the accusations, all the people who are saying this backroom deal was made with this person and they got this money and they did this and who did that and they were over here and they were on the phone and they were this and they were that and they're terrible. And, but you know, some of these stories are from years and years and years ago. And there's things coming out about people who have, you know, uh, we have all kinds of accusations come on, coming out about uh, people doing things inappropriately sexually. We have all these things about uh, movie stars and politicians and islands and people who had islands and uh, there's uh, sex slavery going on. And it would appear that for years, these people have gotten away with it and they've, uh, they've downright abused people. And you know, Hey, let's, let's be real. We even have heard stories where people have been taken out and you can't even find the trail back to who may be ultimately responsible. What do we do with that? Oh, we don't want to hear it, right? I'd rather not hear that because I don't want to have to think about that stuff. But the truth is, it's happening more than we know. And Job is saying to his friends, you may want to take another look at the world. The world is not always fair. But here's what we can know. Ultimately, and this is a key word tonight, ultimately, what's going to happen? Every man and woman is going to stand before Almighty God, and God says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So here's where I take solace, even though I shake my head at a lot of stuff going on in the world. I take solace, I put my head on the pillow at night, and I say, Lord, here's what I know. You a righteous judge. <laughs> and everybody's going to ultimately get what's coming to them, even if it doesn't happen as speedily as I would like it to. And I'm so glad that I didn't get what was coming to me as speedily as it should have happened. And I know that there's scripture that says, you know, when you don't get the consequences of something you did wrong, you know, quickly, well, you think, I'm paraphrasing, that you got away with it and you're good. And the truth is, no, you're not. God is the ultimate judge. Now, here's the good news for the Christian. This is why I ran to the foot of the cross, how desperately I knew I needed Jesus. Because if I was to be held accountable for my sins against God, I'm dust. I'm in trouble. God is patient. There is evil in the world. This whole series we've called the problem of evil and the power of the gospel. The the problem of evil can only be answered in the power of the gospel. Would you agree? Where else would you find it? Because we know not everybody's going to get justice here. And we even have cases where people have been in prison wrongly and it's gone the other way, falsely accused. And that's not always fair. And some of you have seen those TV shows where, you know, you track a story, a guy's been in prison for 15 years and DNA evidence proved him to be innocent. Well, how does he get those 15 years back? He doesn't. What happens now? How does he get his life back? How does he go on? What does the state say? Sorry, we made a mistake. We now realize that you were not the culprit. Oh, thanks. So Job 21.1, Job answered and said, listen carefully to my speech. Let this be your way of consolation or comfort. The NIV gives us clarity. I think this is a better rendering. Listen carefully to my words let this be the consolation you give me. The statement is filled with irony, and Job is basically saying, I wish you would listen and stop talking just for a little bit. 
like you did in the beginning when you were quiet for those seven days. That would be my greatest comfort if you would just be quiet. <laughs> and all God's people said, yeah, I could see that. Sometimes, have you ever been in a room where you either realize you're talking too much or somebody next to you is talking too much and you want to just stomp on their foot? <laughs> Stop it! Ow, that hurts! What are you trying to say to me? Shut up! <laughs> be quiet! Would that you would just be quiet. That would console my soul better than you talking. Bear with me that I may speak, verse 3. Then after I've spoken, you may, you may mock. Or if you have the ESV, it says, mock on, dude, mock on. I mean, it's not a stretch for Job to say this because every time he answers something, they just mock him more. Poor comforters, Job says, you, you all are. As for me, is my complaint to man? And why should I not be impatient? King James Version says, why should I not be troubled? My complaint's not to you. Yeah, you're in my company right now, but the one I'm complaining to is who? It's God. My questions are with God. I realize, says Job, that something spiritual is happening here, and I don't get it, and that's where my question is. Now, as a reader of the book of Job, I already know what's happened. I know how the story ends. I know Job's a good man. I know there was a debate in heaven between Satan and God, and I know God gave a certain amount of, he gave a long leash to Satan to, to attack Job, and that's the heart of this problem, but Job doesn't know that. So Job has to complain to God. Why? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Job 23, flip over there for a second. We'll get to this in a later study, but it says, then Job replied, Job 23, one, even today my complaint is rebellion. His hand, God's hand, is heavy despite my groaning, 23.3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat, probably his throne or judgment seat, I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Do you see what Job is saying? He's saying, look, I, I just want, I want God to hear me and I want to hear his response. You ever, you ever prayed over something and you just felt like all I'm getting is silence? You pray, you pray, you pray some more. You may have a big decision. You may be at a fork in the road and you're praying, Lord, door A or door B, which would it be, I put both before you as you've instructed me to. James 1.5 says, if I lack wisdom, I can ask you and you'll give. And so here it is. What should I do? And you put it before the Lord and sometimes what happens? Chirp, 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 cricket, 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 chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> and you're like, Lord, let me pray that again. I'm not sure we're communicating well. And... We all know that God hears our prayers, but what could it be? It could be wait. It could be no. It could be my grace is sufficient for you, and I just want you to stay where you are. It could be yes, but maybe the yes is not right now because God is into timing as well. And maybe that's the wrong door. Maybe if you're not hearing anything, it's because he doesn't want you to go. Don't force it. Make sure you're bathing it in more and more prayer. I know it can be a frustrating experience because I'm an American and I want everything right now. Come on. Come on, microwave. Have any of you ever had your microwave break 
and you got to do everything with the traditional stove. Can I get a witness? You're like, you mean, how do you turn this thing on? I haven't used this thing in 10 years, right? I'm just used to beep, 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 ding. And we have a microwave that when it's done, it lets the whole neighborhood know that the thing is cooked. And I, quiet, I know my burrito's warmed up. Dogs are howling, coyotes in the distance. Man. Job has a complaint, and the complaint is to God. A few psalms. Psalm 64 to your right, back in the book of Psalms. I told you what well over 50% are laments. Here's another example. Psalm 64, take a look at verse 1. Psalm 64, 1 says... Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. This is David writing, so even David did this. Preserve my life from, the, from dread of the enemy. 64.2. Hide me from the secret counsel of evildoers, from the tumult of those who do iniquity. 64.3. Who have sharpened their tongue like a sword, they aimed bitter speech as their arrow. All the way over to Psalm 142. Psalm 142, look at verse 1. This particular psalm, again, a cry, a complaint, a lament, Psalm 142. Again, David, as he was in the cave, as he was running from Saul, and then later, under the threats of violence of Jonathan, or not Jonathan, um, who was the son? A. No, it was an A. Absalom, thank you. Not Jonathan. He was a good friend. Anyway, Psalm 142, verse 1. I cry aloud with my voice to the Lord. I make supplication with my voice to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare my trouble before him. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, thou didst know my path. In the way where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape for me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Turn back to the book of Job. Would you notice, and I have so many in here that I'd like to show you, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to take you to all of them, but but in in you and me doing this, and and this is where I want to make it personal tonight. I want you to know that if you're at a place like this or you end up at a place like this where things are inexplicable, they don't make sense, uh, not everything's lining up to maybe what you thought this Christian life should look like or what it, how it all should work out, there's a place in your life for lament. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? It's not just you reading somebody else's mail. This is something that you can do. And sometimes as Christians, we honestly ask, should I do that? Should I complain to God? Israel got in big trouble for that. Remember? There are times when plagues came down and people, ground opened up and swallowed people and uh, it wasn't pretty. How should I do this? Well, I would say this. If your lament is faith-filled, looking to God, but you don't want to speak your questions, but you're already asking them in your mind, uh... He already knows. Yeah, but I just thought it. I didn't speak it. Yeah, but he knows what you're thinking too. So you may well express it and please hear what I'm about to say because expressing things 
has a way of being medicinal. Amen? You get things, you ever just gotten something off your chest and it felt pretty good? And I'm not saying to be irreverent and I'm not saying to not measure your words here, but I am saying maybe if you turn to one of the lament psalms that will help guide you in how you might express your heart to God. Job says, uh, 21.5, he says, look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Have you ever uh, gotten some news or watched a news report where something tragic happened and, and people are like this? They're like, and it's, and it's a way of, to express awe and like I'm stupefied by what just happened. One writer says, they ought to understand as they look at Job the undeserved hell they are watching in an awesome thing, an event that prefigures the undeserved hell of the cross, the event that makes undeserved grace possible. Job says, would you please take another look at me? I think you guys have missed. You're getting upset, but why are you so upset? Because I questioned your system? Would you take another long look at me? And remember what Job looked like at this point. He was diseased and filled with boils and just a disaster. Remember, little kids were coming by and mocking Job. People in the city were circling around him like Jesus went through at his trial and they were mocking him and wagging their head at him, all prefigurements of what would happen to Jesus as he would die on the cross for us. He says, even when I remember I am disturbed and horror takes hold of my flesh. I think here Job is saying, every time I have a flashback of those reports when the first messenger came and said oh these guys came and they stole your animals and killed your servants and then another messenger came I alone have escaped and another messenger came and said they did this and they took your camels and they destroyed this and then another messenger came and said probably with a big gulp all your kids were feasting in the house and the roof caved in and all your kids are dead I wonder how many times Job replayed the messenger's maybe breathless, coming in and trying to find a way to speak the news of loss. Do you think that Job looked back to the funerals of all of his ten children? I know those of you who have had to bury a loved one, you can't help but replaying some of that. Imagine if you had to bury ten kids in one day. Imagine how many nightmares and sleepless nights this man had. Imagine how many times he had to come to grips with trying to say goodbye to his children. I wonder how many times he replayed his wife's hurtful words that he tried to overcome in the midst of trying to be true to God. I put this in my notes. I hope it helps you. How do we shift our thinking away from our traumas? How do I find hope in the horror? There may be some answers here as we consider the lament. Getting it out can be healthy. And as we see in many of the Psalms, if the questions drive you back to God for hope and help, this is a good thing. I'd rather it drive me back to God than drive me back to a bottle or careless behavior or whatever else, however else you would fill in the blank. And that's where a lot of people, they get angry with God and that's even understandable. But then they say, well, I'm done with God, so I'm going to go over here. And then you go over here, and you find that that just digs a deeper hole for you, for your soul, for your family. But Job asks questions, and, 
in lament style, he says, why do the wicked still live? Continue on and also become very powerful. One writer says, this is the nodal verse of the speech. It's kind of like the trunk of the tree. Job's speech is directed at his friends and comforters. He's asking questions about how they see the world. If your system is valid, why do the wicked people prosper? Job has some questions about the wicked. Since you brought it up, Zophar, you're saying, oh, they they quickly uh, lose everything and they don't have a progeny. I beg to differ. Their triumph seems to last pretty long. You said it's but for a moment. I say it looks pretty long. Malachi 3, 14 and 15 says, You've said it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we have walked uh, in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. I got to show you one more because it's, This is a powerful psalm. It's Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph, Psalm 73. And here's what he says. This is kind of one of those bummer moments where you're wrestling with faith in God and evil in the world and all these questions. And here's what the psalmist writes. Psalm 73, 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 73, 2. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. 73.6. Therefore pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades throughout or through the earth. The psalmist is like, what do I do with this? How do I make sense of these kinds of things? All all the way back to, go to 13. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, washed my hands in innocence, for I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. I'm suffering, they're not. If I said I, would, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered this, and remember, ponder is one of the definitions of selah you often see, see in the Psalms, to understand this. It was troublesome in my sight until what happened? Until 17, I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived what? I saw their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. See, he says, look, man, I was struggling with this until I went into the house of God and I thought about how it ends for the godless. Back to the book of Job. We'll have to move quickly, but Jeremiah said the same thing. He said, as you turn back to Job, he said, Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Derek Kidner comments on Jeremiah. He says, It is wise of Jeremiah and an example worth remembering to precede what he could not grasp with what he could not deny namely the righteousness of God. 
In a similar spirit, Job asked his question in faith. Like Jeremiah and Asaph, says this writer, he was deeply perplexed by moral disorder, but his faith was not finally shaken. Close quote. You need to hear this again, and I need to hear it again. He says, it was wise for Jeremiah to precede, precede what he could not grasp with what he could not deny, namely the righteousness of God. And you've heard pastors say in sermons, I'm sure, that I know enough about God to try to deal with what I don't understand. Their descendants, verse 8, Job 21, are established with them in their sight. He goes on about how the wicked seem to be making it. Their offspring before their eyes. Bildad had claimed that the wicked and godly man has no posterity, no progeny, no survivor, Job 18, 19. But Job says, I look at their kids and, well, they, they look fine. They go to school. They get good jobs. They have families. They, have, they live in upscale neighborhoods. The offspring of the powerful are also powerful. They get money and possessions and positions, sometimes based on lies and manipulation. Why haven't they been judged? Their descendants are established and flourishing as they look on, as they happily play and enjoy generations, while I, Job, have nightmares about the demise of my family. Their houses, verse 9, are safe from fear. That's because they live in gated neighborhoods, right? (laughs) Neither is the rod of God on them. We can feel Job's questioning pain. Their houses are safe, but I lost my estate. They don't experience God's rod, but I do. Even though the psalmist says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, I don't feel comforted. I feel disciplined and beat up. I've passed under your rod. I've said like the psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way, but I feel like you haven't let up. His ox, verse 10, mates without fail. His farm animals are doing great. His cows, his cow calves, uh, does not abort. All the animals are healthy. My animals were stolen. They're doing great. They send forth their little ones like a flock. Their children skip about. They sing to the timbrel and harp and rejoice at the sound of the flute. They jump in the minivan or the SUV. Everybody's happy. They're blaring their music. I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I'm a disaster. I drive a beat-up old, what should I say? (laughs) I won't name a car brand because it might offend some of you. All right? Thing, I got to lay hands on it every morning just to make sure it starts. Help me, Lord. Uber has become my way. (laughs) They spend their days in prosperity and suddenly they go down to Sheol. Does this prosperity mean they are good people? I don't think so. And if so, then doesn't your system need to be rethought? This is a good time to pause and ask, is our understanding of fairness and quotes based upon a system we created or embraced or heard others talk about or is it truly biblical? Do you know why this is, why, this is why, as a believer, you need good, solid, in-depth Bible teaching consistently that doesn't skip over tough passages? Would you agree? In fact, I would submit to you that there are Christians that have probably been in churches for probably 20 years that have never heard the phrase redemptive suffering and probably have not read a lament psalm in their life. Why? Because we don't know our Bibles. 
And so we have a system of thought and belief that we've either concocted in our heads or we've heard people talk about that this is the way God works and it always works this way. And if it doesn't work this way, it's because you didn't push the right button or you don't understand the system. But is our worldview biblical? And they say to God, look, look at what they say. They say, depart from us. We do not even desire the knowledge of thy ways. Get away with this Jesus stuff and this Bible stuff, man. You got a family member, friend like that? You go to a family gathering, they're like, all right, if we have to pray, would you make it quick? Come on, Holy Joe. It's Christmas. We don't want to spend a bunch of time in prayer. <laughs> That's when you have the little kid pray in the family. Thank you, Lord, for the forks and the napkins and the Christmas cookies. And you just let them suffer. And then you whisper an invitation. And anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. <laughs> Little kids can get away with that stuff. They say something like this. Who is the Almighty that we should serve Him? And what would we gain if we entreat Him? Okay, you want to talk Jesus? What am I going to get out of it? Remember the Pharaoh of the Exodus, chapter 5, verse 2? Pharaoh said to Moses, Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Oh, Pharaoh, you about to get the lesson of your life. Because ten plagues, they be coming. I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to pay any attention to that. Who is this Jesus dying on a cross 2,000? What do I care about that? And if I were to go to church, what would I get out of it? Answer me that, Christian boy, <laughs> girl, right? And look, there, there are benefits to following Jesus, amen? Like eternal life and joy and peace <laughs> and happiness, true happiness. Yeah, they're there, but that's not the whole enchilada, <laughs> right? That's why we need the full counsel of God. They say, well, if, if you want to talk God, then let's talk about what I would get out of it. This is why the prosperity gospel sells, you guys. Now, I know sometimes I say this, and some of you may think, well, Pastor, Pastor, are you being harsh? Look, here's what I'm saying. The prosperity gospel sells because it's what I can get out of it. So if I do this, this is coming my way, right? Not necessarily. And remember, we've told you about a couple of big names in that world that have actually begun to renounce that. And I pray as Pastor Chris mentioned a few Sundays ago, that that is true. Behold, there are prosperities not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked is far from me. 16, difficult verse to translate. It may be that Job is saying, uh, they did not gain their wealth on their own without God, though they think they did. Or it could be saying, uh, we made this money on our own, so we don't need God. I'm a self-made person, that kind of thing. How often is the lamp of the wicked put out? 17, or does their calamity fall on them? Does God apportion destruction in his anger? Bildad said, the light of the wicked is put out, 18.5. Zophar says, there's a day of God's wrath, 20.28. But Job is saying, but I don't see that happening. Are they as straw before the wind? And like chaff, which the storm carries away? Unbelievers are pictured in Psalm 1 and Matthew 13 as chaff. Not the wheat, but the chaff, blown by the wind, blown away into judgment, wrapped in bundles and burned. But Job says, I look, and they don't look like chaff. They don't look like they're blown around like the wind. But I feel like chaff, Job might say. I feel like the one who's being blown around. 
You say, God stores away a man's iniquity for his sons. Let God repay him that he may know it. Let, 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 his, own eyes, uh, let his own eyes see his decay. Let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care for his household after him when the number of his months is cut off? The wicked person might say, as long as my life's good, I don't care what happens to the next generation. And then Job says in 22, can anyone teach God knowledge in that he judges those on high? When the Israelites were questioning God in Isaiah 40, the prophet takes Israel fast forward a hundred some years into the future into the Babylonian captivity. And Israel, Jacob says, God's forgotten us. And the, the prophet responds, no. If a mother uh, nursing a child could forget her, her baby, still God wouldn't forget you. I've written you on the palms of my hands. Look up at the stars. God calls them all by name and he knows you. And Isaiah says, who's directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who gave him the drawings on tropical fish? Who gave God the drawings on how to design a lion, a bear? How about the whole kingdom of reptiles? How about everything under the sea? As you watch things that we haven't even discovered, fish that come by, you can see through some of them. Some of them are all these incredible colors. How about pollination? How about the circulatory system? How about the eyes, the ears, the nose, the taste buds, the, the, your beating heart, your brain that holds the memories of a lifetime? Who brought him the diagrams? Nobody. Because that's our God. He, he designed six million forms of plants and animals, and he didn't need any assistance. You know why? Because he's God. And Job has landed at a place where some of us have to land. You know what? God doesn't need my help in figuring this out because sometimes my prayers are trying to nudge God along a little bit. Lord, I'm not sure if you've been informed about the latest happenings in my life. <laughs> but I sure would appreciate it if things could move in this particular northeasterly direction. You know? He says, one dies in his full strength, 23, being wholly at ease and satisfied. His sides are filled with, out with fat. We can imagine that. The marrow of his bones is moist. While another dies with a bitter soul. Is that Job? Never even tasting anything good. I'm not sure Job could appreciate food anymore. Together they lie down in the dust and worms cover them. Two people lying next to each other in a cemetery. One lived his whole life without God, lived it up. He was fat and happy, and he died. And another guy, and maybe Job is putting himself here. I don't know for sure, but you can imagine. And Job says, look, I've gone through all this trouble, and I'm going to lie down next to that godless, wicked man. And he lived his whole life fat and happy, and I suffered trying to serve God. Where is the equity in that? Man, we can all feel that. But we all realize quickly that there's an afterlife Behold, I know your thoughts, Job says, 27, we're winding down. And the plans by which you would wrong me, your schemes to wrong me, I know what you guys are trying to do. For you say, where is the house of the nobleman? Where is the tent, the dwelling places of the wicked? Have you not asked a wayfaring man, men? Have you never questioned those who travel, NIV? Do you not recognize their witness? Have you paid no regard to their accounts? Have you guys left your little glass shelters to realize that people who travel would tell you 
Things ain't always fair. There's a godless man ruling that kingdom over there. He's brutal to his people, and he's got away with, gotten away with it for 50 years. We can think of some uh, countries in the world right now. You know, you live in a country that's as, as imperfect as it is. We got it pretty good, folks. Would you agree? At least we can debate. At least we can publicly express our opinions. You live in some places and you speak out against the ruler, you dead. They're going to take care of you. There are despots, and they've been ruling for decades. And they've kept a whole country down. Haven't you traveled? For the wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at the day of fury. Who will confront him with his actions? Who will repay him for what he has done? Does anybody have the guts to take on one of these rulers? Until I came into the sanctuary of God and I saw their end. Amen. This is where the Bible encourages you and me to look at life through the lens of eternity. And it is so hard. Let's be honest. It is hard. Because this is what I know right now. This is my experience. Now, I'm learning about the life of the Spirit. And I'm learning how to try to prioritize the life of the Spirit. But... In our dark times, we ask, who's going to confront a, a, a despot like that? Is he going to get what's really coming to him? What happened to Hitler? Did he actually commit suicide? Did he stand before Jesus Christ? Yes. And, you know, anyone who doesn't repent, what, what's the words? Depart from me. You know, the ungodly say, depart from us. And one day, sadly, God will say back, well, then depart from me, because I never knew you. While he is carried to the grave, men will keep watch over his tomb, kind of the idea of a memorial. Now, we're, we're, we still got the wicked man before us. The clods of the valley, they would bury people in the valleys, traditional uh, places of burial, will gently cover him. Here's how he dies. Moreover, all men follow after him while countless ones go before him. They have a big funeral procession for him. He, he dies in his sleep, fat and happy, and they bury him with a lot of to-do and a statue and a memorial and people going before and behind the casket. Job says, how then will you vainly comfort me? For your answers, oh, they're a pack of lies. Your answers remain full of falsehood. Now we come to the end of this chapter in Job, and I ask with you, oh Lord, what would you have me to do with this? <laughs> Let me say this. I, a couple things hit me, and I want to take us back to the gospel. Two words, the idea of a valley and the idea of following. See, the God of all comfort and the God of hope is the only one who can bring us true hope and comfort in our suffering. God's truth is what I need in every season of my life. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And I think about a shepherd guiding his sheep, and I think you're going to piece this together with me. When you know, when Jesus began to embark on his earthly ministry, he looked at his early followers and he said these two famous words, Follow me. Follow me. A shepherd says that to his sheep. You 
follow me. And here's the good news. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I follow my shepherd, and yes, should he not come in my lifetime, I will have to face my own mortality, but I'm gonna walk through the valley of the shadow of death and see my Savior face to face and know he suffered to secure my place, amen? And there's where we're gonna have that grand reunion, and there's where tears will be wiped away from our faces, and this is where Indeed, we will realize this was momentary light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. And we're going to have many good days to count and many good days to celebrate. And when we hit the hard days, we're going to have to make sure that we hear those words ringing in our ears, follow me. I'll lead you all the way home. Well, how, how do I know I can trust you, Lord? Because I sent my son to die for you. Philip Keller in writing on Psalm 23 from the perspective of a shepherd says, I was keenly aware of this consolation when my wife went to higher ground. For two years, we had walked through the dark valley of death, watching her beautiful body being destroyed by cancer. As death approached, I sat by her bed, her hand in mine. Gently, we passed through the valley of death. Both of us were quietly aware of Christ's presence. There was no fear just going on to higher ground. Father, thank you for your word. The book of Job is a, uh, such a real and raw book, but it's so where we live. We may not find ourselves in a tough place tonight, but eventually this, this life, this world will throw us its share of curveballs and disappointments. And here's where we're gonna need a remedy, maybe a lament, Maybe just coming to you, Lord, and saying, I don't understand, but I'm gonna keep leaning into you. Here's where we need good comforters. Not those who have to try to give us all their answers, but those who can just tell us, I'm here, if you need me, I'll sit with you, I'll pray with you. Oh Lord, forgive us for the times that we've been so inadequate in these areas, and so it feels like we've come short many, many times, but thank you that you always provide adequacy and strength and hope. If you're here tonight and you've not met this God of hope yet and you want to follow him, you want to live for something higher, not just for the temporaries. He is a prayer away, but you have to repent of your sin and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And you have to cry out to him. You have to decide the ball is in your court. That is, if he's been tugging at you, he wants you to repent and believe. And it's something this simple, but it is the most profound, important decision you will ever make. And it's something like this. Lord Jesus, pray it if it's you. Thank you for coming into this world, entering into our pain. You became the greater Job. You died. You were the innocent sufferer. Thank you that you died on that terrible cross for me, bore my sin, my shame, showed me your love. Thank you for rising from the dead. I believe in your death and your resurrection and I turn away from my sin and I place my trust in you as my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. Help me to follow you. Help me to be a comforter to others who need that comfort. Help me to be an ambassador of hope. And Lord, for those who are here who already know you and I, I know the room is filled with them, I pray that you would speak hope into their lives. I pray that you, you are the God of hope and each of us would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray 
that whatever the days ahead hold for us, we would look to you, find our answers in the face of Jesus and in the cross of Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.